This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. This is Paul Peterson from Connecticut. <laughs> You're from the whole state of Connecticut. The whole state, yeah. Paul, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. You have a very interesting story, but before we get started and started digging deeper into how you got to where you're at today in your career, let's start telling our audience, what do you do today? So I am a senior director of operations for JLL. I run the Northeast region for the Cyrus One account. So I have multiple large-scale data centers in the Northeast that I run. So could you expand a little bit on, as a senior director of facilities and facility operation, what does that mean? What's your day-to-day job? Are you just keeping the data center active and live? Pretty much everything MEP driven on the data center side, we support. So we're on the ground, boots on the ground engineers at the facilities, keeping everything going. We work in coordination with Cyrus One service delivery team to provide the services that are needed for the clients and make sure that everything stays up. We deal with the maintenance plans, budget forecasts, everything that operationally needs to happen at that data center from the critical aside all the way to the carpets and the paint on the walls. It runs through our team. So for all of our listeners, Paul is actually one of a major piece in the puzzle to ensure that we've got uptime availability and connectivity with your data set and data set requirements. Paul, let's step back in time now. You and I have had some previous conversations as it entails to your educational experiences as a young man going through school and college. Could you share a little bit about that journey and how you got to uh, get engaged in the data center market segment? Sure. I think it's very interesting when I talk to people in this industry that have come into this industry, they always have a unique story because it's not ever a set path that's like, oh, this is what I wanted to do when I grew up. It kind of well, you fall into it a little bit by chance. And that was very similar, very much my story when I was starting out. So I came out of high school. I went to school for secondary chemistry at Western Connecticut State University. I quickly realized that it wasn't really for me. I wasn't the greatest academic, mainly because I just didn't do homework. I was working. We had a family business. So I used to leave high school and go straight to work and work weekends and work nights. So I had very good technical hands-on aptitudes. I knew I wanted to do some kind of a trade. So I started to switch gears and started to look at possibly becoming an electrician. What was the family business? Uh, my father ran a dry cleaners. So that's why you were wanting to be a chemist, huh? It's like kind of breaking well, I, back. <laughs> I had some environments with chemistry. I used to do some rigging at 14 years old and moving a shit machinery and high pressure steam fitting and all kinds of stuff hands-on. So I had aptitudes for that. And I had a little bit of experience with that from a young age. So I was always hands-on and school was not really my thing. I just sitting in the class and just at that point in time, it, it just didn't appeal to me. So I tried to go to school and do the four-year program thing. And it, it just didn't work for me at the time. So I met uh, my younger brother's best friend. They were playing Pop Warner football. His father ran a company that we didn't know at the time. We knew it was successful, but we didn't know what they did. Come to find out, he ran a very large remanufacturing facility of critical equipment. And it was right around the 2000s when things were booming and they were taking PDUs and 
older UPS equipment and remanufacturing them, strip them to and, and selling them to me and selling them to Phil. Is that Friedman or is that someone else? No, that was Friedman. Oh, um, Friedman. So, so Steve was talking to my father and said, just happened by chance to say, hey, what's your other son doing? And he said, oh, Paul's not really into the school thing. He thinks he's going to look at electrician maybe. And Steve at the time had relationships in the industry. So he said, listen, either way he wants to go, I could maybe talk to him and maybe guide him. And maybe he could go to school for like electronics because he was at the time looking to build up a field division. And he said, I'm not going to give him a job, but I'll present an opportunity to him. And if he does the work, he could have a very good career path. Now, fast forward to today, Steve never would have imagined in his wildest dreams I'd be sitting where I am now. I took that opportunity and ran with it. And so I ended up going to a school for electronics, Connecticut School of Electronics, which is now Porter and Chester University. They were bought out. And I went through a basic electronics curriculum. We dealt with alarm panels and live sound reinforcement four-way bridge rectifiers. It's very small level. And the theories that I was learning at the time, I was like, how is this going to correlate to what I'm doing? And eventually, once I got through this, the program and I came to Steve and I said, I did what I was supposed to do. I want the opportunity. And at the time I was working part-time at the factory, stripping down condensate pumps from crack units and spray, cleaning condenser coils and whatever I had to do to get in the industry, to build my reputation and show that I was a team player and build my career forward in that company. And I eventually was able to move to the electrical side on a full-time basis. And I met my mentor, who's to this day, was one of the most brilliant engineers I've ever met, self-taught John Balsamo. And he was an unbelievable asset to me. And I didn't realize how much at the time, but he taught me everything about three-phase power, critical infrastructure, from the nuts and bolts all the way up to the distribution and the cabinets and everything. I, he had me reading manuals and schematics for hours every day. And I took four by one meg UPS systems and stripped them to the frame, painted them, rewired harnesses, did cap assemblies, fully commissioned them, changed set points, programmed them. I got an education that I don't think anybody in this industry could even imagine on that. Yeah. It was tremendous. That's absolutely amazing. We talk about a lot on the podcast that our goal is to introduce people to the foundational elements that power our digital world, like let them know that the data center exists. It sounds like your exposure in this super unique way, you're basically like taking stuff that was headed for a dumpster and making it relevant, which I think is spectacular. But you, it's so much more foundational than even what the data center is. It's like the foundational elements of the foundational elements that power the things, that power the things, that power the digital world, which is just, you stripped it down to the point where we try to talk about it in terms of building blocks and you have this building and this building houses computers and cabinets and wires and blinky lights. You're talking about it from the standpoint of like, here's a capacitor. Yeah. And then it's, you put a couple of these things together and you solder them to a board and then you put this other thing and then eventually there's a battery. And it's such incredible experience that I can't, like, I'm trying to think of the people that I know in our industry and just the exposure that you were given, not because you sought it out, but because you happen to live in the part of Connecticut where Steve Friedman was kibitzing <laughs> with some guy that happened to know that his son, who hated school, needed something to do. And it's just that's that windy road. We try to figure out, like, what are the characteristics that you need to have in order to succeed? What's going to resonate with the younger generation? And it's that 
you know, stay curious, stay open-minded, realize that the people around you are not there to judge, but they're there to be resources. So don't be so scared to not follow like a typical path. I'm probably skipping to the end of the podcast for where we are, but just incredible. Yeah, no, yeah. I for sure. And Steve said it to me a hundred times. He's like, listen, I believe firmly in giving someone an opportunity but you have to take that opportunity and what you do with it is what is going to make or break you. And I see too many times I'm considered a millennial. I don't feel like a millennial sometimes, but I'm considered one. And I have interviewed people and I've talked to younger students and kids going to school and the motivation, the drive, the ownership of their role that they're looking to take on. It's not there. It's feel like it's fading away. That, mm -hmm. that mentality. When I worked in that facility, they called me at four in the morning. I drove there, ripped apart units, drove them to the airport, got on a plane, drove to the site, went to the site, did the repair, came home. I didn't think anything of it. This is, you need to get the job done. This is what we do. It's a critical environment. It's key. And that was the mentality. That's how I was trained. Most of the guys in the field at the time were ex-Navy nukes. These were guys that live and breathe criticality. But there's something about that that really appealed to you, obviously, because for the people that love the academic thing, which is like going to a calm room or probably the people that resonate with like nine to five. And then you go home and you go to the office and you have the little suitcase or a briefcase yeah. or whatever it is. And then that's that. You have to really not just be a sadist. That goes without saying. But you have to like appreciate not being needed and wanting to be hands-on and wanting to be the person that is responsible for this thing, even if it's not necessarily Paul Peterson's responsibility, you feel that accountability for the environment and you thrive on actually understanding the moving parts and being responsible to it. And I think there's so many people that have a hard time identifying that in themselves. It resonates in the typical path you're supposed to take as not liking school or not wanting to do the standard thing. And there's a fine line between just ending up on a park bench somewhere because no one wanted to give you a chance and being able to look in yourself and try to figure out like, what makes me tick is valuable. Right. And it might not be valuable on this path, but it's valuable in this other way that I'm going to experience. So it's great. So you, you had mentioned earlier that you did not really have interest in school. You finished high school, you were a varsity baseball and a football player. Then you went to Western Connecticut. Yeah. And sounds like that you didn't really like it. What, so, what didn't you really like about the system? When I look back, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing with you guys, and I'm talking to trade schools again, and I'm visiting these students and having these conversations. I remember what it was like coming out of high school as not a great academic, not really knowing where I was going. And I was concerned. My family didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't pay for my college. I had to pay for my college. So they helped me any way that they could. But my family had houses foreclosed on, had businesses lost, bankruptcy. I had to learn the hard way. I had to kind of figure things out. And it was concerning. And I'm watching my friends go to these four-year schools and enjoying college life and having parties and all this kind of stuff. And I had to work three jobs and go to a trade school and, and pay for it and then try to find another job. And it was tough. So for me, when I went into the school, I was kind of following what I feel like is at the time was the recipe. It was the roadmap that every student is told, this is what you need to do when you 
get out of high school. You got to go to college. You got to take the SATs. You got to do a good thing. It was just like driven into you. And there's a lot of students I know. Most of my most successful friends did not go to college. And I'm finding that a lot of my friends who did go to college are maybe not in the greatest career path. They got a basic degree in sociology or something that was very neutral, career neutral, because they had to go to college. They had to get through and get a degree. And I've had several high-level executives that I've talked to about this. They all seem to say the same thing. And Steve Friedman said it the same way at the time. He said, when you get a degree certificate or you get a diploma, what that means is you have the ability to learn. That's what it triggers for a company. So when they're looking at you as a candidate, they are saying, okay, this person was able to apply themselves, learn the skills they needed and achieve their goal. That's what it proves. Now, in my experience, you can have people who maybe don't have the aptitudes and the mindset for a four-year degree program, but can still achieve the goal if they're trained correctly. As people learn in different ways. And I think the education system needs to take a hard look at that. COVID really made things apparent. And I think it brought a lot of parents' eyes onto what was going on because a lot of kids were learning at home. They were on a computer. And this is how we do business as on a computer. So you can get stuff done virtually and still perform your tasks and work. And the industry that we work in is very prevalent. It's being seen that that is the case. So... The education system has to adapt to that. And everybody says, well, it's good for kids to go to school. They have a good social aspect. And I agree with that. But there are other ways to have a social aspect outside of that. Because these kids are going to the classroom and what are they doing? They're going on a laptop and they're learning on a laptop in a classroom. So what's the difference? Yeah, we keep talking about this all the time. And that's one of the reasons why we started the whole initiative, not just to create awareness and address the challenge globally, but also give people a platform to be able to learn and identify that swim lane that you were able to identify fairly early on in your life and your career. The challenge is that we have not changed the educational sector since the second industrial revolution. We're still teaching things that we taught 50, 60, or 100 years ago, just in a different format. And it's really very much socially driven. The days when you had trade schools, like you would go become a blacksmith or a goldsmith or whatever else profession, those are gone or have been gone. However, I believe trades are coming back into play. And a college degree, I think the social sciences, they're not going to make you a technologist or get you into the technical space. And potentially they could, but you're starting at ground zero after acquiring a four or six-year college debt. So, yep. hey, kudos to you. I think you are an absolutely phenomenal story to share with our audience and be a part of this. Who knows the Freedman? Even a broken clock is right twice. <laughs> Good job, Steve. <laughs> so I want to say to these students, like my career path, you don't know, you got to stay adaptable in any industry, especially in this industry. This industry is changing nonstop. And I tell all these students who I talk to them, just because you're headed down a certain direction, stay open-minded, keep your eyes open, see what appeals to you, follow trends, talk to people, network. That's so critical now. You have to network with everybody. And when I went into the field and I worked as a field engineer for several years, I was very successful. I ran a, a division of the company. I ran the Northeast division team for a while. And I, at a certain point, I said to myself, I don't want to load a toolbox every day. I want to be 
behind the desk at some point. I want to get higher level. I want to start to do more in-depth operations. And so I started to kind of think back and go, you know what? I think I need to start looking at school again. Maybe I got to go to a four-year degree program and, and take some classes or something. So at the time I met with the VP of operations and then I kind of, I was almost not, not swayed to not pursue the school, but it was said that I, what did the gym really need it? I was doing really well in my career path. I chose to go back to school anyway. So I went back to Westcon for a finance degree. I wanted to get a, a bachelor's in finance. I have to this day not completed that. However, I completed the core required classes for the bachelor's degree. I didn't take Spanish, gym, writing 202, whatever. <laughs> I didn't take the basic stuff. I took what I needed from the financial attributes and I applied it to what I was doing at work. And I restructured our commission plan. And then I was working with John and he was teaching me a lot about Salesforce. And we manipulated architecture in the system and working with all the different departments, marketing, scheduling. I dealt with the coordination team. I dealt with the finance team. I started to apply what I learned in those business classes and my writing skills got very, very good. I started taking some business writing courses and learning how to articulate email and communicate at an executive level, which made me a real dangerous player in the industry from a sales perspective, because now I had all this technical ability. I had relationships across the country with the biggest data center companies in the world. And I was now able to call them and say, you don't do your batteries. This is what's going to happen. And guess what happened? The POs started flying through the door. So the nice thing is when you're on the receiving end of POs, you're on the receiving end of checks that go along with those POs. So it's always nice to have the compensation that justifies comes along with the rest it, yeah. of it. I think most people, they'll go back to school if they do, because the way corporate hierarchy works right now is it's a checkbox. You get the BA for entry level, then you go back and maybe you're lucky enough to work in a place that will pay for getting a master's and you get the master's in business or you go back to law school or, or whatever you do. And it's to collect that piece of paper. And inevitably, everybody understands that you learn these concepts at school. But once you get in, you'll learn how the business works from inside. There's even a trade school mentality within the corporate structure. It's kind of built into it. Except nobody is, you're the first person I've heard of that took it upon themselves to not just focus on the checkbooks. You're actually going to school, searching out the things that you want to learn and then apply as opposed to, yeah, almost. And it made it to me so much easier to learn. When I went to school, I learned trigonometry. I used trigonometry when I was an engineer. I didn't know how to apply that in school. They didn't know how to apply. I met mathematics professors that were teaching me math later on in life, and I'm showing them stuff I'm doing with vector modulation on an inverter drive circuit. It's wide over their head. They have no idea what I'm talking about. So I was getting trouble for using that those who can't do teach moniker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it's true. It's a practical application knowledge is totally different than theoretical knowledge. It's a different skill set. It's a different right. skill set in sports. Not every baseball manager is a great player. Right. It's just not necessarily the case. It makes it so much easier to learn the subject when you can apply it. No question. Right. I went to school for business and now I, I'm looking at financials for my company and structuring sales, sales pricing and stuff like that and ROIs. I figured out how to do an ROI in college. I took that and applied it to my sales platform for large scale customers. When I showed them an ROI, 
and the overall environmental change from taking an old system and replacing it with a new system and why it was cost effective and tell them they're going to make their money back in three years. It was an instant sale. Right. And nobody's presenting it that way. Nobody is presenting it that way. That's why we were so successful. And I was in the sales thing for a while. I did sales for a couple of years. It really wasn't for me. I'm an ops guy at heart. Right. I'm an operations guy. So I understand the financials. And the other aspect, the reason I went back to school for finance, I tell everybody, you can do all you want to do in the operations world. If you don't know how to speak the financial language, you're not going to get the fun. Those are the guys that are making the decisions, right? So if I can talk to the finance team and the CFO and say, listen, this is why I think we should do this. This is your ROI. Now all of a sudden it becomes a lot more relevant. I didn't talk this way when before I went to school. I had to go back, right? But I knew where my career trajectory was headed and I knew that I was going to need some additional skills. So from a student perspective to circle back, they have to keep the mindset that if you want to grow in your career, you have to be a continual forever learner. You have to always be learning, 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 whether it's courses, certifications, back to college for a four-year degree, whatever you think you need. What I will say is don't get sucked into the four-year degree platform because you can take courses and learn how to do things. And now there's so many unique tools out there, LinkedIn Learning, YouTube. There's a million different tools. The Nomad Futurist the Academy. Nomad Futurist Academy. Paul's going to teach you guys a thing or two on the Nomad Futurist Academy. Stay tuned. So there's aptitudes out there. There's things that they can look at. And I think it's also something that the educational folks should take to heart also. I think the one thing that's clearly missing from typical schooling, it's not that it's bad. It's great. You have a captive audience. The social element of it is incredibly important. Learning how to have the social dynamics, especially young children, and it prepares you for the world. But I think this notion of practical applications of the skills that you're learning in the classroom is simply missing. So if you took the practical benefit of a trade school and kind of layered it on and taught theory, because at some point you have to teach it, and then said, this is how it's used. Case study, workshops, we've tried to figure out a way to go to all these public schools and have them, you know, they're learning technology, they're learning how Google Classroom works because they're using it as a tool since the pandemic. Don't just teach them how the applications work, teach them why the applications work, take them to a data center, take them to where these things are set up and just show it to them. They're using the internet on a second by second basis. They're addicted to technology. Use that passion and show them something that really might create the next Paul Peterson or better yet, the next Steve Friedman. Yeah, there you go. God forbid. For sure. Sorry. Nabil put a post out recently about AI and the younger generation, how they adapt to it so fast. And that's it in a nutshell right there. If it affects them directly and it's something they can manipulate at a young age, they soak it up and they're going to learn it faster than any of us. So the fact that they're able to do that, take a technological advance technology like that and adapt it and use it and manipulate it at such an early age, it just shows if it's taught that way, if the mind right. up application first, then funnel the theory into the application. We're wasting all that time. It's easier for them right. to understand and comprehend it. It's the same as someone learning to ski as an adult versus someone learning to ski as a child. Exactly. Right. They're broken with fear by the time they're an adult. I try to ski at this point and like the fear is paralyzed. When you're yeah. a kid, you're too stupid to be scared. Exactly. Yeah. Paul, you made an interesting comment earlier in a conversation regarding mentors. Yes. As a young man, it's quite challenging to say, okay, this is the direction I'm going to go in because you don't really know 
what's that going to result into? Uh, how did you find, for starters, that mentor, believed in that person and their direction and guidance, and then agreed to a game plan that you put forth for yourself that that's what you were going to do? So when I went to school for electronics, I was working part-time on the mechanical side, rebuilding condensate pumps and rebuilding condensers and all that kind of stuff. So eventually, once I graduated from the electronics program, I was brought over to the electrical side. I was deemed qualified at that point to move over and start to learn from John Bolsano. I ended up being my mentor. And John, even at the time, he's an absolutely brilliant engineer, self-taught. He took UPS schematics and manuals and he figured out how they worked down to the microchip level. And he was unbelievable. And he took, he with a, with a mentor from what I learned from John, and I try to mirror that with my team, is he took time. He dedicated time to me. He knew that I would be a valuable resource to the company if I was trained correctly. He wanted to see my success. He really empathized with my situation and he was passionate about it. He felt that the, because I was the guinea pig, we were creating uptime diversity at the time. So we were creating a training curriculum and I was the guinea pig. They were going to see how it went. And I ended up being a really good success story for them. So they started to do it with more technicians and develop a, a larger team. But that takes patience. There were days where I would watch what he was doing and it was going right over my head. I had no idea the complexity of what he's doing with an oscilloscope and he's measuring pulses and drive pulses. At the time, I didn't even know what three-phase power was. I was still learning. So he took the time to explain in extreme detail why we were doing what we were doing, how it worked. And that was an invaluable resource. It was something that I'll, I, I'm so grateful that he was able to do that and take the time with me. I feel like a lot of people that have that level of knowledge sometimes can't articulate it in an educational way for people or don't have the patience or don't have the time or don't want to give up the knowledge. And that's unfortunate, but there was a, a time period where I feel like the older generation, sometimes they want to hold things close to their chest. They're fearful that people are going to take their job potentially. He was not that way. He was a very passionate and compassionate person to teach. And it also worked out probably to the benefit, like he had a culture around him that incentivized them to do that. It made his job easier to give you knowledge. And if that's not the case, the fact that they were building Uptime University, the fact that they were trying to find a way to, because there was a recognition that there is no place for this kind of knowledge to be gained. You can't learn it at Westcon. You can't learn it at any school. There's not, Apex Technical School wasn't teaching how to field strip 600 KW Liebert. Yep. Yep. Well, they're still not teaching. No, they're not. I don't, I think they're totally (laughs) done now, but in general, that still doesn't exist, that type of experience. So it's invaluable to even hear about it and still incredibly unique which is why you're going to be the star of the Nomad Futuristic Academy. <laughs> These are very interesting stories. And it's kind of interesting that in my entire career, I never got to experience this from, from your perspective. And being in the space, you don't really get to see it. You can end up developing this tunnel vision like, oh, yeah, well, everybody knows somebody. Everybody's smarter than somebody. But I, like Phil says this quite often, we all fell into the space purely by an accident in some way, form or shape. And we have been defining this infrastructure, which is good. 
right? Foundationally, we are strong. We've got the knowledge base, but I believe it's really, really a critical time that we start putting that strong foundation for the next generation and passing the tribal knowledge to them. So, yeah, thank you very much for sharing your story. It's absolutely phenomenal. It hits every single point that we've been talking about for the last four years. It's really the basis of our initiative and the academy. So, really happy to get involved with you guys. I think it's a great initiative. I think it's absolutely something necessary in this industry. We are headed for very, very difficult times if we don't start to build up our workforce in this industry. No, no, no. AI is going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the generator. Well, what power is the that's... AI, Paul? <laughs> exactly. So I'm saying it's a little bit of a vicious circle there. You brought forth that you went back to college again to finish finance, yeah. right? But you did not finish the degree. So a couple of questions that come forth. As you progress in your career, as you got deeper into the entire data center, physical layer, particularly in the electronics, electrical and operational part of it. At what point in time you figured that you actually needed to go back to college and develop certain skill sets, whether it be communication and or the financial part of the business to get you to the next level? So my third year in the field, I made the decision that eventually, and I was very early on in my career, but I made the decision mentally that I did not want to load a toolbox across the country forever. And I would do my time and do what I had to do but I needed to learn some additional skills if I was going to prove that I could work in a business environment. And when I went back to school and I was able to now apply what I was learning in the field, and then I started having conversations high level with the VP of the company. And I said to him, I want to find a position that works for me, whether it's operations, running a region, whether it's sales. I wasn't really sure. I just was looking for an avenue. And actually when I got into sales, we created a position with sales engineer didn't exist in that company at the time. So I said to them, why don't you make me a sales engineer? I can apply my technical aspects to what I'm selling and I think it'll work well. And then I have the business acumen that I'm learning going to school and I can apply that and all around it just kind of worked and it worked really well. We were very successful for the period that I was doing that. So um, would that be appropriate to say that you found your passion and then there on end, you wanted to get quick skill sets and knowledge base so you can communicate properly with people in whatever language that that needed to be communicated in. Yep. I think it's important for students to see, they have to find their aptitudes. They have to find where their strengths lie. So if you're a hands-on person and you're technical, but you don't necessarily have the communication skills, look at yourself. If you've ever seen, there's a, a famous sculpture. And it's actually a father and son figure. And the father has all the holes. And then all the holes that were taken out of the father was applied to the son and created the son's figure. And I think if you think of it from the mentality like that, look at yourself as a statue with holes. Find where the holes are and then find it, figure out how to fill them. If you have to work with somebody that has that skill set and mirror what they're doing for success, do that. If you have to go and get a certification, do that. And eventually you will fill those holes and you'll become the person that you really are driving towards. And that once that happens, and I feel like I'm far from being an expert, I've come a long way, but I'm a forever learner. And I always take the approach, there's always more out there to figure out. Um, that's what's I, so amazing about it. What's ama so amazing about it is that the notion that someone that's 18 years old is gonna choose a college major and that's somehow gonna be enough. 
right? is so absurd. It's sure. just like you have to get into the world and see like when yeah. you actually like are, it just makes so much sense if you describe it. You have to see what's going on and then figure out where the gaps are. You might think you're good at something and then it turns out you're actually not very good at it. Or like if somebody came to you before you even went to the electrical uh, electronics courses and said, I think you really need a finance degree. I think you need to go to school for finance. You would have beat them up. You just simply would have pushed them in the face. And it took you seeing that you didn't have that skill to want it. And when you want it, it's not work because you want it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's and not I, an obligation. It's not a chore. I would sit in these classrooms and these courses and I was old, a lot older now. This was many years later. And I was sitting in a freshman class. And these kids were messing around, not paying attention on their phone, doing things. And I actually, at one point, I stood up in the class in the back and I was like three rows back. I turned around and I, I looked at everybody. I said, listen, guys, you may not want to be here or care, or maybe your mommy and daddy paid for you to be here, but I'm working for my career. I'm here for a reason. So if you want to talk and bullshit, go to the back of the class. And so whoever wants to learn can pay attention. The professor came up to me after the class, shook my hand and said, that was very, very inspiring. And I think all the students that are now sitting in the front row were inspired by it as well. And I said, I'm sure it had an impact, but it probably had an impact for a day. And it's because they couldn't possibly expect. They can't, they can't grasp it. You can't teach it. And then I was was getting called old timer and all this. Right. 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 Which didn't bother me at all. I was right, so of course worried. at that point. At your right, right, ripe old age, millennial. Are you kidding yeah, me? Exactly. Yeah. Hey, so, so being a millennial, being a senior director at JLL and managing Cyrus One, one of the large data center providers. What's next for you? What are you thinking? So I have a few things in the works. Ooh, are we going to break any news? Let's break news. No, Cyrus no, will be fine. No news. I have a few things in the works. I, I, I have a very strong tie to Cyrus One. I'm very, very happy where I'm at. I think, it, again, things kind of fall in place for a reason. And timelines worked. And I think that the success of that account is we're heading in the right direction. JLL as a whole is a great company to work for. I'm hoping that some of the stuff I'm doing with these trade schools will kind of collaborate, build, and drive the workforce and hopefully benefit the company overall. But... My career is, I tell a lot of people, and I always say this to students as well, the networking portion and what we do for our own career is so important. When you come home from work, right? When I come, when I leave work for the work day, I also then focus on my career. So I'm looking for trade shows. I'm looking to do things like this, connect with like-minded people in the industry, network, see where I can expand my knowledge, find resources and people to talk to across the industry. And that is such a key component that a lot of, I feel like the younger generation doesn't realize. They're go to work for the check. They want to go to work, then they want to come home. You have to have life balance. That's, we could have a whole segment on life balance. That's a huge, huge thing that a lot of people overlook, especially at a young age, it can get very overwhelming. So you have to find ways to balance. I have a two-year-old, I have a daughter on the way, and I'm still finding time to do all these kind of things. And I do it because I'm passionate about it. It drives my career and propels me forward. It's like gives me a, a little rush of, of inertia and energy when I find myself a little flat in my career. But doing that, staying connected on LinkedIn, going to these trade shows, seeing the technologies that are out there. I'm a technical person. I love to embrace that and see where we're headed and learning the specific cues, the sustainability and power and where we're headed with these technologies, it's motivating for me. So 
Yeah. Yeah. One of our goals is to make this field as cool as it can because it gets a terrible rap. Oh my God. It's uh, you know, people just glaze over when you talk about internet infrastructure, even though they use it all the time. Yeah. And it's cool, the blinky lights, but they just glaze over immediately. So I think the other thing that people don't realize is that the people that run our industry, they have other passions. They have other hobbies and stuff also. And this is not yet a video platform, but you are surrounded, but there is musical instruments all over. There is a like a DJ booth turntable. So I just think the notion that we have, I don't know, I used to live in a building that Buster Rhymes, Brooklyn. So we have like a full on music producer with us as well. Can you talk about other, it doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be the hobby you talk about, but you have other hobbies besides going to industry trade shows and trying to figure out the best way to yeah. run it. So my biggest escape is when I can cycle. I'm an avid cyclist. I love to get on my bike and just go. I've done a couple centuries. I was training for a dual century and I'm, I had a herniated disc in my neck. So it put me a little behind, but I'm getting back into it. It's a little tough with the young ones right. running around, but my wife is very, she loves it. She's like, go <laughs> clear right. your head, come back. And so that's a big part of it. When I get to do my music stuff, I enjoy it. I did DJ for quite a while. That's some pretty big venues. And I do some local stuff, I do some private parties and events, but low key. So he's the CEO of Goldman Sachs, by the way. So he's you're in good company. Very prominent DJ. I know him <laughs> very well. Yeah. The best thing I can say for the students is follow your passions, find your aptitudes, do things, and you have to enjoy what you're doing. When I go to work, I want my team to be happy when they go to work. I want them to enjoy being in the environment. We all have stress. We all have things we have to get done. But you should be able to come to work and engage with the team and have a positive atmosphere. And it's a hard thing to do if you don't enjoy what you do. So you got to try to find ways to do that. The best thing to do is just focus on your aptitudes. If you have specific things that you're good at, embrace it and kind of roll with that. It's very hard to do at a young age. When you come out of high school, you might think what you're good at and you don't have a clue. My 10-year-old thinks he knows what he's good at. My 10-year-old thinks he's better at everything. You got to get over that that feeling of pride and I'm going to do this. And it's tough at that age. That's a tough age. I ran the world at 16. I knew everything. There was no telling me nothing. So I had to learn a lot of hard mistakes before I figured out how to get to from A to B. But I think this is a great industry. Everybody I've met in this industry always has a positive trajectory about them. And we're booming. It's a great industry, but it's getting bigger, faster every day. If we can get these students in the right mindset, give them the skills they need, I think there's going to be some some really tremendous players. I watched a series called The Men Who Built America. And it was actually the first time I saw it was in my finance class. The first finance class I took, Finance 101 in Westcon, and it was taught by the dean of the business program. And he comes in and he puts a movie on and he's like, we're going to watch segments of this series the whole time throughout the semester, because I think it's such a prominent thing. It's such a, the mindset of these business titans, which is what they were. And the way that they took entrepreneurship and technology and adapted it and could see and forecast futures and created what ended up being the U.S. economy was absolutely inspiring. And I watched this segment before I got on here because it just sparks the fuel. It gives me like a little bit of fire. And I, man, I would love one day to be able to be recognized as a titan in this industry. That's a driving force for me. There you go. We found it. The next thing for Paul is to be the titan of the data center industry. (laughs) We found it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. The data center Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Got a long way to go. Got a long way to go. (laughs) Well, you're on the right path, Paul. 
This is a very inspirational story. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey with the young audience and people that are going to be joining and redefining uh, the data center and the information technology sector on a go-forward basis. Thank you again for your time and being a part of the Nomad Futurist Initiative. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. And I'll talk to you guys soon. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.